0: Welcome, this talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So welcome, uh, and thank you for coming on 4th of July weekend. And uh, we're going to give a talk today or discuss and experience together Uh some teachings on compassion in celebration of His Holiness the Dalai Lama's uh, birthday, as he is a bodhisattva and an incarnation of the Buddha of compassion, we thought this would be a wonderful time to talk about talk about compassion. Um, and in particular, we're going to be looking at a text, uh, the Thirty Seven Bodhisattva Practices. This is the most one of the most precious texts. Of, I personally ever experienced to come in contact with. It's quite amazing. And thank you to Zoe. We actually have copies of it, so I'm going to pass those out now. So, you know, first of all, why do we need compassion? Why would we want to practice compassion anyway? <clears throat> I had the opportunity to sit with Lama Suridas Das last, last weekend and he was talking about this and I liked how he said he said you know we're over the time of self-help. We don't need self-help anymore. We need community help. We need global help. We need political help. We need to help the animals, you know? We need to help the school system. We need engaged Buddhism, right? No more self-help. We're going to we're gonna all going to die <laughs> if we're just sitting around doing self-help all the time. It's like we're over that. It's it's gone. We need to come together and help each other out. We need we help. We need together help, right? This is what we need, right? And like the Dalai Lama says, I think the quote on the Facebook post I put this um, this week: "If you want to be happy, practice kindness. <clears throat> if you want others to be happy, practice kindness." Yeah. So even for our practice, it's kindness. It's selflessness. Diogo who who does a commentary on the text that we're gonna be looking at today, says, if you realize selflessness today, if you realize that there's no fixed, permanent, independent I today, you will be enlightened today. If you figure that out tomorrow, you're going to be enlightened tomorrow. But if you don't ever figure it out, then you're not gonna be enlightened, right? So our spiritual practice is a practice of selflessness. This is what we're getting at, right? With wisdom, mind, and compassion, we give to others, right? We lose ourself in the devotion and the service. In the giving, we lose ourself, right? We lose ourself in the love of it all, right? We lose ourself in love. Love is everything, it's everywhere. We lose ourself in it, yeah? We're gone. We're everything, just like that. So this, this Buddha, <clears throat> this Bodhisattva that wrote this text his name I've never heard his name spoken. <clears throat> I think it's pronounced Thogme Zongpo. I could be wrong on the pronunciation. Amazing bodhisattva. And a bodhisattva is a being that could take that could attain enlightenment at will. They've gone through everything they need to do. They can that they can attain enlightenment, never come back to samsara ever again. But they do so just for the sake of suffering beings And they make a vow that they will not leave Material existence until every being is freed from suffering So all the great Saints they're all considered Bodhisattvas Christ is a Bodhisattva Krishna and Buddha. They're all All Bodhisattvas are returning just for our own good for the good of all of us, right? And so the author of this text who is an amazing Bodhisattva a couple stories. I love when he was a child they noticed that he had immense compassion, immense compassion. And when he was really small, he went outside, he lived in Tibet, very cold outside, and he came back in and he was naked. And his mother said, you know, why are you naked? He said, oh, there was somebody outside and they were very, very cold and they needed my clothes. So I gave them my clothes. (laughs) So she went outside to see who he gave the clothes to. And she looked, and there was a bush that had frost all over it, with all of his clothes on top top of the bush, and he'd set rocks on the jacket so it wouldn't fly away. The bush was cold, yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing, mm-hmm. amazing bodhicitta. <clears throat> when he was the abbot of a monastery, he had to leave on important business for the monastery, and he traveled. Almost a full of one day, and he came upon uh, a dog, a mother with pups, and they were all starving to death. And he knew the dog was probably close to eating her pups, you know, just to survive. And so he thought, well, what to do? I'm already a full day into my trip. I have to get there by the morning. There's no way that I, I can make it, you know. He thought, well, I have to save. The animals. So what he did was he, he put them in the backpack and he traveled all the way back to the monastery. You know, that's the only way for them to survive. And when he got there, one of the officials in the monastery said, well, you know, what are you doing back? This is very, very important. You have to be there by tomorrow morning. He says, I know, but I had to, I had to save these animals. He's like, there's no time for compassion. He's like, we need to get this done. You know? He's like, here you go again, being compassionate. You know? <laughs> so he dropped off. The animals, and instead of sleeping that night, he just traveled all night, all day, all night, and did, you know, got his business done, and then traveled back. It's amazing compassion. So we're going to be looking at this text, <clears throat> and this text comes in in three parts. He talks about the preparation of, and this is this actual text is the whole path. This is a whole path. The preparation of, of getting yourself settled into the path, the main teachings, and then he has you know the, the conclusions. And this actually these these poems there are thirty-seven poems, and they take you all the way to Ati Yoga, like all the way to the highest uh, practices in the Mahamudra uh, Kagyu tradition of Tibetan Buddhism of this school. So it, it's amazing how he's how he's done this, and of course. We won't be able to talk about them all today, but we're going to go over a certain uh, section of that. And I want to go over a couple of things because we're not going to be looking at them all today. Um, I want to unpack a couple of them that in the West if we read them, they might seem a little a little odd <laughs> So. Yeah. In um, number two, uh, I'm going to actually read from here. I think the translation is exactly the same. Maybe it's a little different, but the mind of attachment to loved ones wavers like water. The mind of hatred of enemies burns like fire. The mind of ignorance, which forgets what to adopt and what to discard is greatly obscured. Abandoning one's homeland is the bodhisattva's practice and he goes through a few there where he's talking about leaving your family behind and you know going to practice and when we read this we think oh wow that's that's pretty radical like leave leave all your loved ones and go practice in a solitary place and you know we see this there's a few a few of these uh, that he talks about and so of course he's he's not saying you're going to leave your loved ones you know forever abandon them forever but he's talking about going on retreat, going into seclusion, and, and cutting those attachments. When we're around uh, our family, friends, loved ones, sometimes there's a lot of attachment there, there's a lot of, of uh, turmoil there. So he's saying to go there and abandon your homeland for a certain period of time. We know like you know, Jesus wandered for 17 years, and, and you know Buddha left the palace, and not like it's not to return, but it's to go away and move into yourself for a time being. So if that seems a bit radical, I just wanted to, to point that out, you know. And, and this is a radical practice. You're going to see as we move in, this is radical compassion. Radical. It it's, makes no sense. You're going to see this compassion, it makes no sense. It's crazy compassion, yeah, crazy and that's okay. So we're going to be jumping to, I believe we're going to start at 12. <laughs> and this section here... So this is using the path to the four things that you do not want to happen, the four things that are loss, suffering, disgrace, and discouragement And what I like about this, this is the path of uh, the post-meditation practice and why I want to cover these for one, they're very, very powerful, for two, we could use them in everyday life. This is post-meditation, so this is off the cushion stuff, like how do we use compassion in everyday life. How do we use uh, this practice during loss, suffering, disgrace, and disparagement? So, the so disparagement or just dis, disparagement Disparagement, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so let me, I like to read from my little text here. Even if others, influenced by great desire, steal all one's wealth or habits stolen, dedicating to them one's body, possessions, and virtues accumulated in the three times is the Bodhisattva's practice. Amazing, right? A three times past, present, and future. And from the commentary, we're looking at Dilgo Kensei, which is an amazing, he's an amazing, incredible Lama. They said that he had 108 teachers 108 masters as teachers, and he's a Rime Lama, which he practiced in all the different schools of Tibetan Buddhism, there's four major schools, and he was a master uh, of each one. An incredible Lama. Says if you have no wealth, thieves won't break in. If you carry no bags, robbers won't lie in wait. And so we see here that, again, this, this compassion, using loss for compassion so if, even if others influenced by great desire steal one's wealth or have it stolen dedicating to them one's body possessions and virtues accumulated in the three times. So knowing that these people are doing it through afflicted emotions even praying for them you know, Byron Katie for those of you who know she, she came home and her home was broken in and they stole, they stole you know TV, all this stuff. You know? And she said, she said, oh, wow, I, I went into what they must, how desperate they must have been to do something with such high consequences. They, they could have gotten in trouble, could have went to jail. Wow, they must have been suffering so greatly. Can I imagine how badly they are suffering to do something like that? Wow, amazing. Yeah. So that's one way to look at it. So here's one that seems a bit radical, this next one. Even if others cut off one's head when one is utterly blameless, taking upon oneself all their negative deeds by the power of compassion is a bodhisattva's practice. Wow. Crazy compassion, compassion. Does this remind you of anybody else in history, Maybe. Maybe Christ, yeah? Father, forgive them for, for they know not what they do. He's being hung on the cross, right? Again, no rationale to it, but they may be onto to something, right? This is an investigation to see how does it feel to have this type of compassion? How does it feel? Are we more free? Or are we, are we more free with hatred, right? Or protecting this what we think is this self, protecting our beliefs, right? Protecting the transitory body. Do we think we're more free then, right? Or living like this, it's an investigation. One master says, should somebody chop my body into a thousand pieces, may I not be the least bit upset, but straight away put on the armor of patience. And from the commentary, the idea of enduring, of an enduring self has kept you wandering helplessly in the lower realms of, of samsara for countless past lifetimes. It is the very thing that now prevents you from liberating yourself and others from conditioned existence. If you could simply let go of that one thought of I, you would find it easy to be free and to free others too. And this is where he said what I... Talking about uh, earlier. If you overcome the belief in a truly existing self today, you will be enlightened today. If you overcome it tomorrow, you will be enlightened tomorrow. But if you never o- overcome it, you will never be enlightened. I is merely a label you have given to a transient combination of concepts and attachment to your body, speech, and mind. It is not an absolute, eternal, indest- indestructible truth like the Dharmakaya nature of the Buddhas. Use any practice you do to dissolve the idea of I and the self oriented motivations that accompany it. Even if you do not succeed in the beginning, keep trying. And so, this is what this, this poem is about this exchanging this impermanent self. And it's not like we're, we're dying, right? We're actually coming into the only, only real known, right? We are love. We're not the other stuff, <laughs> we're not the other thing. So they're begging us to give up what we're not so we could really experience what we are, begging us. Yeah? Even as something as radical as this, giving away you know, this earthly life, You know, symbolically, or sometimes these bodhisattvas do it for real. So 14. So that last one, that was how to use suffering as the path. You know, 12 again was how to use loss on the path. So 13, how to use suffering on the path. How to use disgrace on the path is 14. Even if someone broadcasts throughout the billion worlds, all sorts of offensive remarks about one, speaking in turn of that person's qualities with a loving mind is the bodhisattva's practice. How amazing. Even if we don't know what people say, sometimes we say, oh, that person I don't think doesn't like me. Or something. <laughs> Even if they say derogatory things about us, you know, in public, in return, sending them loving kindness. I'm going to read you something from Lama Zopa here. As Shanti Deva said in the Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life, since we achieve the Dharma by depending equally on the Buddhas and sentient beings, Why shouldn't shouldn't we respect sentient beings as much as we respect Buddhas? Guru Shakyamuni Buddha gave teachings on patience, giving us the opportunity to practice patience. He taught us how to follow the path to enlightenment, how to eradicate our defilements, and how to liberate ourselves from the suffering of samsara by revealing the path, by revealing the teachings. Therefore, we think he is so precious, so kind. However... Sentient beings are equally so. Even though it was the Buddha who revealed the teachings, without the existence of sentient beings, without the sentient being who is angry at you, how can you learn to be patient? How could you realize the perfection of patience? Without that being, you cannot complete the paramita of patience. You cannot attain enlightenment. Even through this example, you could see it is equal. Buddha gives you enlightenment by revealing the path, by giving teachings, by showing you how to practice patience. The sentient being, who's angry at you, gives you enlightenment by giving you the opportunity to putting these teachings of the Buddha in practice. Therefore, just as the Buddha is kind and precious, so too is that sentient being. So we need each other. Precious jewels, especially the ones... That we don't like, precious, precious gurus, precious teachers, right? Every every sentient being. Okay. So fifteen. Even if in the midst of a large gathering, of even this one, even. Even if in the midst of a public gathering, someone exposes faults and speaks ill of one, humbly paying homage to that person, perceiving him as a spiritual friend is the Bodhisattva's practice. And Digo says, never give way to anger, therefore be patient And moreover, be grateful to someone who humiliates you, as they are giving you a precious opportunity opportunity to strengthen your understanding and practice of bodhicitta. And bodhicitta is a sincere wish to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. We have relative bodhicitta, which is the wish on the mundane plane to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. And then there's ultimate bodhicitta, which is an experience it's like a, a mini enlightenment I have to attain enlightenment ill treatment by opponents is a catalyst for your meditation insulting reproaches, reproaches you don't deserve spur your practice onward those who do harm are teachers challenging your attachment and aversion how could you ever repay their kindness I'll read that again Those who do harm are teachers, challenging your attachment and aversion. How could you ever repay their kindness? Indeed, you are unlikely to make such spiritual progress if you lack the courage to face your own hidden faults. Any person or situation that helps you to see those faults, however uncomfortable and humiliating humiliating it may be, is doing you a great service. Any person or situation that helps you deceive those faults, however uncomfortable and humiliating it may be, is doing you a great service. As Lord Atisha says, the best spiritual friend is the one who attacks your hidden faults. The best instructions are the ones that hit your hidden faults. The best incentives are enemies, obstacles, and the suffering of illness. It's a radical shift in how we usually perceive, but if we look at all of our hidden faults that we wouldn't know, anger is not anger from out there, right? Anger is just in here. We have all the fuel in here. The matches may be out there. You might throw a match, right? But if the match falls on calm, peaceful water, no problem, right? No problem. So those situations and beings that point out to us what we still need to work with. Very amazing. Yeah? So we can extend kindness, gratitude to those things. And we know. We know maybe afterwards usually. We go through something difficult in life. We think, wow, that really made me a better person. I wouldn't be the person that I am today without all that suffering. With all that you know with with that person in my life you know at the spiritual centers that I lived at the challenging people you know the the abbots or whoever's running the center they loved the challenging person they loved the challenging person I think they actually invited them in somehow (laughs) they got them from the community oh come here over here you know, like there's that saying, is if you think you're enlightened, you know, go live with your family, yeah. get as much of your family around. Yeah. You know, if you think you're enlightened, then, then that challenging person isn't so challenging. You know, you'd see the monks and nuns <clears throat> deal with the challenging person, just pure bodhicitta, just pure compassion to them, extra compassion. They treated them like the jewels that they were. They looked at them like Buddhas, right? Because they are. They, they saw the divine. Push, boom. They had, they had nothing to get ignited. There was, there was no problem. Yeah. It was my problem. They were challenging to me. They were my problem. They weren't a problem. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. So again, that one... How to use disparagement on the path. Okay, we'll just do one more. And we'll do a little meditation. How to use on the path being wronged in return for kindness. This is number 16. How to use on the path being wronged in return for kindness. Even if someone, for whom one has cared as lovingly as his own child, regards one as an enemy to cherish that person as dearly as a mother does an alien child is the Bodhisattva's practice. Even if someone, for whom one has cared as lovingly as his own child, regards one as an enemy to cherish that person as dearly as a mother does an alien child is the Bodhisattva's practice. So if you care for somebody like a child and they treat you wrong. Now sometimes this is actually children <laughs> themselves. We could use this for. Many people do not have the good fortune that you enjoy of of having met a spiritual teacher and thus cannot find their way out of delusion. They need your help and your compassion more than anyone else. No matter how badly they may behave, always remember that people who harm you are simple, simply the victim of their own emotions. Think, think how good it would be if they could free—I'm sorry—if they could be free of those emotions. When a thoughtless child wrongs a thoughtful adult, the adult will not feel resentment, but will try with great love to help the child improve. I'll say that again. When a thoughtless child wrongs a thoughtful adult, the adult will not feel resentment, but will try with great love to help the child to improve. To to meet somebody who really hurts you is to meet a rare and precious treasure. Hold that person in high esteem and make full use of the opportunity to eradicate your own defects and make progress on the path. You cannot yet feel love and compassion for those who treat you badly. He says, if you cannot, Yet feel love and compassion. For those who treat you badly. It is a sign. That your mind has not. Fully been transformed. And that you need to keep. Working on it. With increased application. If If you cannot yet feel. Love and compassion. For those who treat you badly. It is a sign that your mind. Has not been fully transformed. And that you need to keep. Working on it. With increased application. Once There were five demons, org-like beings who lived on flesh and blood. They arrived in a country that was new to them and set out on a killing rampage. They started by attacking sheep, trying to kill everything in sight with their weapons and sharp teeth and claws, but to no avail. They were unable to kill a single animal and could not even wound them. The beings of this country Seemed invincible as if they were made out of rock. So their anger gave way to surprise. They asked the shepherds, Why is it that we cannot kill any of your sheep? The shepherds told them that the kingdom was ruled by a monarch called the Strength of Love. He spent all his time in the highest tower of his place, of his palace, absorbed in deep meditation and compassion, and meditated deep meditation on compassion. And love. Such was the strength of his love that there, were, that there were no famines, no sickness or plagues, and no living being in his kingdom could ever be killed. The five demons went to see the king. They told him that in order to survive, they needed to eat flesh and blood, but they could not find any in his kingdom. The king said, I would like to provide you with sustenance, but I cannot allow you to harm anyone. As you need flesh and blood to sustain your own lives, however, I shall give it to you myself. Piercing his body with a spear, he gave him his own flesh and blood. As soon as they tasted the blood of the Bodhisattva king, they suddenly experienced a deep meditative state of love. They vowed never to harm any being from that moment onward. Thus, this story illustrates the power and strength of love. like that one. Paltrow <laughs> Rinpoche says, to meditate on love pacifies all calamities and troubles in the surrounding countryside. And Milarepa too said that treat human beings like celestial beings is to offer treasure to ourselves. If we, wish, if we wish only good for others and are full of love, it opens up a mine of perfections and all of our aspirations will naturally be accomplished. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.